Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast who, for the past 10 years, has dedicated itself to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who, whether she's doing the can-can or the flippity-flop, will always be the star of the show. It's Lydia. <laughs> I was ready to start singing the hero. There's a song in here at some point that it like, and then, but I never could catch the words on it. I listened to it literally like 12 times, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. But yes. hi, it's great to talk to you. It's excellent to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining me. Yes, this is the beginning of year 11. We had a lot of fun last month yes. talking about you know our 10 years on Orphan Entertainment. And again, thanks to the the folks that sent in their uh, their congratulations messages, we really appreciated that. Yeah, that was fun. So the second one was from our buddy Steve, who uh, or long ago, I think, was on the Time Shifters podcast with you, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was so great to hear from him and, of course, from Chris and then from the guys over at Good Beer, Bad Movies. Bad yes, beer, thank, good yes, yes, thank you very much for toasting us there, just everyone. Yeah, that's my personal opinion on beer, but I'm so thrilled to have you guys' good wishes. Thank you so much. Yeah, and yes, Chris, um, as I said, I think we will try to <laughs> we will try to get to your five. I still have it. I do still have it. I your five minute mystery, Chris. I have it. We just the actually the the one we did that uh, Pete sent in. It actually ended up being just. It ended up being a little bit more of a chore than I think either one of us were expecting. (laughs) It's so hard. I mean, we get together to do this podcast one time a month. And sometimes during the holidays, we we don't even have that much time uh, to to do a whole episode. So, you know, we'll drop something else in. And um, it's just so hard as adults to get time together. (laughs) But I wanted to mention, it's been 10 years, Christopher. I've been in a relationship with you longer than with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just say this relationship has been a longer relationship. No, I met you before then. I think we knew each other for two, three, four years before that. Working, um, working the interview room at Starfest, which sadly is no more. Uh, Starfest out in Denver, which tragedy that that's not, that's not going to happen anymore. But man, we've known each other. It seems ridiculous that we've known each other as long as we have. Yeah, it's crazy when you really think about it. Yeah, I mean, you try not to think about how long it's been because that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's aging gracefully. That's my goal. My motto that's, is to age gracefully. <laughs> that's it exactly. But I, I was going to say too about the fact that you know because we have to actually go online to speak to each other mm-hmm. to try to do the uh, the five-minute mysteries and everything. It'd be different if we were, like, all in the same city and we could get together and you kind of uh, play off each other and Just, do stuff and, yeah. and work on it together, uh, <laughs> but actually having to try to schedule time maybe that's the trick maybe yeah maybe we need to go ahead and schedule an online call and then just do the recording and be able to play off each other last time we recorded the the parts independently and then meshed them all together maybe it would go a little more smoothly if we did you know get a couple of people online with us and do it together so there's a thought maybe chris maybe you'll see that coming out in the near future and that would be a lot of fun for us too yes i'll i'll need to pull the uh pull the script back up and find out how many people we're going to need because I think it's a little bit bigger cast than oh, what we yeah. are. <laughs> well, you and I both know I can play five or six parts really easily, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> I was going to suggest... We'll just do voices. I, I like genuine, it. No, I think that's the way to do it. We'll do it as a competition. Christopher, you play all the parts and I'll play all the parts and then we'll play both and see which one the audience likes better. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you guys don't shut off the podcast. I'm just joking. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. We'll uh, we'll have to get something out there for you guys soon, I think. Yes, we're, we're going to have to get creative about it soon because I'm actually starting to run out of the five-minute mysteries <gasps> that we play. Oh, I, I've been writing lately. Maybe I can come up with one. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the response to that. <laughs> then we have to record it. <laughs> then we have to record it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you everybody. And thanks for everyone uh, who, when the, the episode posted, we got a lot of congratulations and everything in the oh, comments. Yeah. It's, it's really great. Thank you yeah. very much. And I thank hope, you guys. I hope you watch or watch it. I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy it. And just recently, you and Barry were talking about how you had gone back and listened to a lot of the older episodes. Oh, gosh. I, at the time, didn't. I've, I have since. And you're right. We've had a great time with some of those episodes. They've Even some so of the fun. movies that were just... Stinkers. Stinkers. I listened <laughs> yeah. to the UFO Target Earth one today. Oh, it was so today. bad. <laughs> but, but we had... I laughed so hard listening to re-listening to that episode for... I thought it was years ago that we recorded that. But yeah. just the things we talk about, even though I didn't re-watch the movie before I re-listened to the podcast, no. I laughed so hard re-listening to that just because the ridiculousness of it and our theories about how... How that horrible movie got made just had me just cry and laughing. So definitely recommend go back and listen to a couple of. Yeah, and the Beware the Blob one is a <laughs> tremendous amount of fun. Yeah, and oh, that man. does make me want to go back and watch the movie. Oh, the kitten, man! I forgot about that kitten at the beginning. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, oh, man, uh, what what a good time. Well. uh well, I guess we should start talking about this movie. Well, actually, before we go any further, <laughs> again, thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, if you've been with us these past 10 years, man, we do appreciate it. Absolutely. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts. But please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. And another great way to help is just by sharing the episode that you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. Uh, if you're a Facebook user, we do have a group that you can join, and that's a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next. I always post a link to the films when I uh, upload them to the YouTube channel, uh, which leads me right to mention that we do have a YouTube channel where you can go and watch a lot of the films we've covered here on the show. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as learn how you can support the show financially, which we also got a very nice gift from someone. I won't mention their name, you know, for the sake of not Thanks, embarrassing dad. them or no, no, whatever. I'm but <laughs> It wasn't my dad. <laughs> we, someone bought us, uh, I, I won't say a coffee, someone bought us several coffees, and that is very so, much appreciated. Thank you. So thank uh, all these links can be found at orphanentertainment.com. With that, we will take a break and listen to a five-minute mystery, one of the remaining few that we have. And when we return, we'll take in a performance of 1929's The Dance of Life. Another five-minute mystery.
Homicide Bureau, Sergeant Timmons speaking. Sergeant, this is Ken Forbes of the Lawson Forbes Machinery Company. Yes? You better send one of your men out here to our factory right away. Accident? Yeah, worse than that. It's about a young ex-convict we have working here. He's just murdered Mr. Lawson. Hello, are you Mr. Forbes? What? I say, are you the Mr. Forbes that called police? Oh, I'm sorry, uh... Oh, yes, I'm Forbes. It's an extremely rush order I'm working on. I couldn't afford to let it wait. I understand, yes. If you'll just follow me, Inspector. Uh-huh. Mr. Lawson's in his office over here, officer. Just like I found him after Joseph shot him. There's the body. Hmm. Shot through the head, hmm? This the gun? Yes. Lawson's own gun. A pretty small gun for a man to have. You usually only find these in a woman's purse. Didn't you say this Joseph was an ex-convict, Mr. Forbes? That's right, officer. I warned Lawson about hiring someone with a police record, but he ignored me. Why? Well, where is this Joseph? Did he get away? I have him locked in the washroom here so he couldn't run away. Hey, come on out. Well, haven't you anything to say, Joseph? What's the use? What good would it do me to say I didn't do it? Who'd believe me, an ex-con? Uh, why'd you do it? I didn't do it. I was working on the milling machine, and Mr. Forbes knows it. Officer, I heard Lawson giving Joseph the devil just before this happened. He'd been in the office for... That's a lie. It's not a lie. You had been snooping. I saw you going through the checking accounts two days ago, Mr. And... Lawson asked me to help him audit the accounts. That's a poor alibi. Ask you. Why wouldn't he have his own partner help him on the audit? You were just snooping. He probably caught you this afternoon, and you, knowing where Lawson kept his gun, got it and shot him. Forbes, what were you doing all the time the squabble was going on? I was operating that chain of automatic punch presses over there in the corner. As I told you, when you came in, it's a rush order. And how did you know about this? Well, I heard Lawson giving Joseph here a good lacing. Joseph seemed pretty sullen. Then all of a sudden, I heard a shot. I ran into the office and found Lawson slumped back in his chair. Blood running from his temples. I didn't do it, officer. Just because I was set up once for some childish prank, you can't accuse me of murder. I'm not accusing you, Joseph. But I am arresting Mr. Forbes for the murder of his partner. <laughs> clue that the officer uncovered that turned the finger of guilt on Mr. Forbes. We'll find out in one moment, but first... Just how drunk are we gonna get? Welcome to Good Beer Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy... Killboy Christ! <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you! <laughs> Dave... I have the weirdest boner... And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. And now, back to the homicide officer and the solution. Forbes, you said you were operating those punch presses when you heard Larson arguing with Joseph. Then you heard the shot. I did. This gun being so small makes very little noise, yet you say you heard it over there in the corner with all those punch presses going. Forbes, you couldn't have heard a shot because just a few minutes ago, you couldn't hear me for all the noise, and I was shouting right into your ears. No, Forbes, your ears aren't that good, and neither is your alibi.
Dance of Life is a 1929 musical distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was directed by John Cromwell and stars Hal Skelly and Nancy Carroll. This is the first of three film adaptations of the 1927 stage play Burlesque. It was followed by 1937's Swing High, Swing Low and 1948's When My Baby Smiles at Me. Skid Johnson and Bonnie King are two burlesque performers down on their luck. Bonnie can't find work, and Skid quit his last job after a disagreement with the showrunner. By chance, they end up in the rail station depot together late at night, where they quickly strike up a friendship. Together, they wire another show after seeing an advertisement in the one ads. They team up and become popular attractions. They fall in love and marry. Skid's big break comes, and he travels to New York City to star in Zigfield Follies. While there, stardom and showgirl Silvio Marco compete for Skid's attention. Bonnie has to make some hard choices, and her life with Skid, the show, and the show business are all in question. This was slated to be Paramount's first talking picture, but the production had to be transferred to the Astoria Studios in Queens, New York, after a fire destroyed Paramount's Hollywood Studios. It was eventually transferred from Astoria back to Hollywood, but the resulting delays... Uh, allowed several other features to be released before this film finally made it to theaters. Not only was this going to be Paramount's first talkie, it also boasted a short segment of color. Skid Johnson's big debut at the Sigfield Follies was filmed in two-strip Technicolor. Unfortunately, that footage, while supposedly held in archival vaults, has never been reunited with the version that is seen today, which is a full black-and-white print created for 1950s television airings. The director, John Cromwell, before being hired by Paramount, was an actor and a well-renowned stage and dialogue director. Paramount teamed him with an experienced filmmaker, Edward Sutherland, and the two had success with this film and a movie called Close Harmony, which also uh, released in 1929. In a 1973 interview with Leonard Maltin, Cromwell said of his career as a movie director, I never got accustomed to the terrific range of the camera and what the choice of a shot can do to a scene, though I was always very aware of composition. I had to rely enormously on my cameraman, especially at first. I was never able to learn much about lighting because it seems to me that every cameraman I had was so different from the last in his technique that it became almost impossible to learn unless you just took out time and devoted yourself to it. So I had to be completely at their mercy. But I was very lucky. I had some wonderful cameramen. And I bring that up because I do want to talk about some of the camera work in this film when mm-hmm. we get into it. Yep. Hal Skelly played the role of Skid Johnson on Broadway with co-star Barbara Stanwyck. And I've read conflicting reports that Stanwyck auditioned for the role of Bonnie, that Paramount never wanted her, or that they offered her the role and she flatly refused. Oh, Interesting. Uh, no matter the truth, Paramount decided to go with a more established film actress and cast Nancy Carroll. Hal Skelly was, as I said, a Broadway performer, but he actually got his start in burlesque. He joined the AM Zen Musical Comedy Company in San Francisco, where his eccentric dancing ability earned him the nickname Tumbling Harold Skelly. <laughs> he also spent a year traveling with the Barnum and Bailey Circus. He would make a total of 10 films before he was tragically killed in an automobile accident involving a train in 1934. Nancy Carroll was also a Broadway performer before moving into film. 
She appeared in many films from 1927 to 1938 until she retired from the industry to return to the stage. She would return to the screen, however smaller, in 1950 when she starred as Mrs. Aldrich in the second season of the early television series The Aldrich Family in 1950. I said that twice. In 1950 and 1950. Well, it's consistent at least. (laughs) She would make a few television guest appearances from there, but continued to be active on the stage until her death in 1965. This movie is a who's who of orphan entertainment. We have lots (laughs) of connections to other episodes. Mm -hmm. Director John Cromwell directed 1934's Of Human Bondage. And a favorite of ours, 1938's Algiers. Oh, and other favorites of mine, which I mentioned at the time, The Prisoner of Zenda with David Niven. Of course, I have to mention it. And also the original Anna and the King, oh, well, Anna and the King of Siam. Dorothy Revere, who played the showgirl uh, vying for Skid's attention, Sylvia Marco, was Milady de Winter in 1929's The Iron Mask, which yes. we... It, I was going to say, which we reviewed not that long ago, but it was actually, I looked it up, it's a little longer than I thought. Uh, Charles Brown, who played the show manager Lefty, had a small role in 1940's Santa Fe Trail, as well as in The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, 1946. And Al St. John, who was Bozo, can be found in The Painted Desert from 31 and Dead Men Walk from 1943. All these episodes can be found in the feed or on our website at orphanedentertainment.com. And as I said before, many of the films, if not all of them, are available on our YouTube channel. Crazy. I, guess, I suppose after 10 years, it had to happen where we've had a movie that just had so many people connected <laughs> to so many other films that we've talked about. <laughs> That's so funny. It's so funny to go back. Okay, after especially after having just recorded our 10-year anniversary to then just <laughs> every one of those I so when when I started watching this movie, so there's a there's a bit of a history with my experience with this movie, but just specifically the last time and last uh you know, the last time I watched it, a whole bunch of things jumped out at me and changed a little bit of my opinion about this movie because I started noticing some of the very good directing in it, or at least some of the very notable directing decisions in it. And um, so I had to look up the director and then I saw, of course, what we've already just talked about. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't believe we've already done two movies with this director. And we didn't notice before we watched this movie that it's a director that we've seen twice before. But that we're talking about 120 episodes and certainly I don't remember all of the directors that we've talked no, about no. by any stretch at all. But it is funny. It's starting to get to the point where I'll see, you know, of course you look at IMDb or wherever when you're, you know, looking up, okay, who's in this movie and you start seeing just the images of them and going, that person looks familiar. Why does that person look familiar? And then, Oh, because they were already in two other movies that we did, but oh, it's, that's kind of a, it's kind of fun, actually. It is actually a lot of fun, but and, and I can't think. I mean, I think it's a perfect. Uh, it's a perfect film to start our eleventh year. Mm. You know, right after our ten year anniversary, to have you know one that has so many connections to older episodes. I think that's just. It wasn't planned. It's, it's just a fantastic little happenstance. It is, and I think there's a lot of interesting trivia going on with this. I didn't know about the studio fire, and it actually, that answered a lot of questions I have. So, of course, this movie has its fair share of uh, stage routines in it, of burlesque routines, I suppose. And uh, 
as I was watching it the first time, especially, I was thinking, oh my gosh, they're still doing this song, you know, but they do like the <laughs> whole routine. And that's kind of something that we see in the earlier films when they have, if they have a song that's going to be done on stage, they do the whole song and dance on stage. Yes. And it's not as it evolved into with, you know, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, where then you get some nice, fun, sweeping camera movements and some close up shots and a little bit, you know, a little bit of addition to the storyline. This is just a, a lo- often a very static shot of a stage with the performance happening on the stage. And uh, it, when I first was watching it, I, you know, as I said, there was a little of impatience, but understanding now that, oh, this was slated to be, you know, a studio's first talkie, it makes a lot more sense from that perspective. I mentioned the camera work before, and you're right. There are moments when there is a very static scene where it feels very much like a stage play. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was one scene uh, early on uh, when... Uh, Skid and Bonnie have what turned out to be adjoining or or next door uh, dressing rooms. Yes. And I think Bonnie is in her room and she hears Skid go into his room and she's like, oh, is that you? And like, well, he's just on the other side of that. I, I, it didn't click that they were supposed to be in separate rooms. Right. But you actually see the, the dividing wall between them. I thought it was just a... A divider a half, in the room. Yeah, yeah a divider in the room. Yeah, I thought that as well. That's interesting. And I think... I think if that were on stage, it w- I would have glommed on it immediately that they're supposed mm-hmm. to be in separate rooms. But because this was filmed, mm-hmm. it it didn't click. It yeah. wasn't until the one actually got up and then like went out the door and came in. They're like, <laughs> why did they just go? Why oh. are there two doors in that room? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And, and and the ones that I'm thinking of specifically are the performances, you know, where they're yes. supposed to be doing a, sh- a stage show and it is filmed like it's on a stage. They, but the whole, the whole movie isn't done like that. It's not painful to watch the way some other movies we've watched have been painful because it's shot as if it were just a camera pointed at a stage. No, in fact, there's a few times where the camera gets very mobile and impressively surprised. so yes. in, for 1929, there is one shot, and I don't want—I don't mean to jump all over the place, but there's one in particular that I was really impressed with. I think it's near the end where Bonnie goes to walk on stage and the camera follows her down the hallway. Ah, uh, yeah. And then she goes on stage and the camera then backs and pans away and then fills the stage. And I'm like... That had to have been one of these giant cameras in 1929 on a giant crane stuck down this hallway and then pulled back and then opened up on this room, you know, onto this stage. So, like, it's an amazing shot. That's not even what's funny is I know exactly the shot you're talking about. It's uh, kind of in the middle, and we see the main character's part, you know, at one point. And I didn't even think about it, but I. Because the focus is very heavily at that point on Bonnie's uh, response to what's going on. And she's very emotional. You know, you get Mm -hmm. a very clear emotional uh, feeling from her. And the whole and it's it's drawn out by today's standards. But it really kind of dives into the character. And and and. That isn't even I like I I remember thinking this is an interesting shot, but I didn't put it together until I saw one of the later shots. She goes to a speakeasy 
and she looks kind of through a mesh like a window and Mm -hmm. she sees uh skid and the camera zooms and my mind exploded because this is 1929 (laughs) and when you mentioned the the the, uh, version that we're watching the version that's on the orphan entertainment youtube channel is one that was uh put together for 1950s tv it actually that raised the question i wonder if they zoomed for the TV, but that doesn't mm. make any sense because what you're saying, I almost wonder if that crane shot wasn't a tight zoom in on her and then zooming back out as she walked and then backing the camera out. That's really interesting. It'd be fascinating to know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Usually zoomed. when they do that with these early films, though, you see like a, de- a degradation in quality when they're that zoomed up and then they zoom back. You, you, you see a difference in the quality of the film. Mm-hmm. That's what startled me so much in that that other scene is because it zooms in. First of all, it zooms, and if you're if you're listening to this and you don't get the mind blowing fact of a zoom in 1929, I didn't think cameras could do that. I genuinely thought if you wanted a a, a view to move in, and I mean, of course, I mean in film cameras, I thought if you wanted a zoom, you had to move the camera. Move the camera, forward. yeah. And I don't think they do that. Now, I, maybe I should go back and rewatch it because I might feel like my the visceral feeling of it is not one of sliding the camera forward. It's it's too quick of a zoom right. uh, for for and there's yet, no speed up in the film or anything like yet that. You almost wonder if they did some little trick with the film itself that maybe they shot the whole thing long, you know, or at a distance and then pulled it forward um in editing i wonder yeah i would be fascinated to know how they did this because as we're saying this is not this i wondered i i would love to know if this is the first instance of a zoom in a film because it wouldn't surprise me at all if that were the case it's at the one minute 15 uh the one hour 15 minute mark right around that time and uh, I noted the time because of how interesting it is. If you've already watched the movie, go back and watch it again and watch that moment and and think about this might be the first time this ever happened on film. It's really, really exciting to see that. Yeah, it is fantastic. And as I was saying, a lot of the, the, these shots where I was talking about, you know, the camera going down the hallway and then yeah. opening it up on the stage, by today's standards, very commonplace. Mm-hmm. Because the camera is small, it can be mounted on wires. It could be mounted on a on an easily moved crane. There's lots of technology to do this rig. now. Yeah, steady cam. Yeah, yeah. Not the case. This had to have been someone dragging this thing or, and and manually moving it. And it blew no me track. away. And they do it a couple times. Yeah, there's no. It's not a tracking shot. It's not on a track. Yeah. It's just. It's really impressive. And that, there's yeah. actually a couple shots with them going down the hallway. And there are times where you feel like you feel like someone's carrying the camera because you, yes. you feel like it, it, it bounces a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, is, yeah, someone may be pulling it. Which today isn't remarkable at all. No. But at that time, cameras at that time weighed. I mean, they, we're talking film reeling through a camera. Yeah, time. no one was actually carrying this thing. No. <laughs> There's, it was hundreds <laughs> of pounds of equipment. But it'd be fascinating to know how they did it. They have to have done it on a crane or something like that. Especially since there's no track, like clearly there's no track when she's walking. Yeah. But yeah, so it so this movie for just those reasons to have, and I feel like I should go back and watch it two or three more times because I'm sure I would just 
just focusing on the direction find a whole bunch of other small things where it would be um or maybe maybe i'm overly enthusiastic about it but just those couple of things are so remarkable that this is genuinely oh that kind of thing had to happen the first time somewhere it wouldn't mm-hmm. it be amazing if we could learn that that was the first time it happened in this film it'd be really cool it'd be nice to know how they did it i'd be very curious to know because this was kind of a team up between a freshman director and a more seasoned uh director being that the one director came right from the stage, if the more static shots that we see through the bulk of the film is kind of more him, mm. and then the more creative ones maybe came from the more experienced director saying, well, you know what we could do? <laughs> Instead of just the static shot watching her walk by looking sad, we could actually back down the hallway with her. That, yeah, gosh, what an interesting... Yeah, so I I, I would to love to know how much Edward Sutherland, how, how much influence he had, mm-hmm. and at what moments uh, versus uh, John Cromwell. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, so that is the end of the episode. I'm kidding. It's not the end of the episode. But that by itself, honestly, could probably fill a whole episode if we could actually find out the history on that. But we probably should talk a little bit about <laughs> this is definitely one where I, I wish I could talk to like a, a film oh, historian that yes. had, you might have more resources than what I might, you know, I dug around online trying to find uh, anything I could on the film. And I, I, I came up with what I came up with. It was very little exception. I pretty much mentioned everything that I could, yeah. uh, that I could find. It'd be interesting to to know if there's somebody, a family member or somebody that, you know, had heard stories from him about how he came up with some of this, how they, I suppose, either of the directors, you know, uh, those stories might be lost, but gosh, wouldn't they be amazing to hear? Right. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, you, you mentioned <laughs> about the, uh, the shows. When you see the show, they show the whole routine. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that has to come from the fact that, you know, these movies were kind of everyone's... Uh, avenue into seeing some of these things where they might not otherwise i mean you're seeing a zigfield folly how many people are going to be able to actually go to new york and see one of these things yeah they're not going to be able to afford that train ticket or plane ticket well train ticket at 1929 (laughs) They, they, they might not be able to afford that bus or train ticket to get to new york and afford the tickets to go see one of these follies but they can probably afford a dime to go to the local matinee on a on a Saturday night or something mm-hmm. and see a film like this and then get a chance to actually see one of these routines. This huge routine. And I like And in color. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that in <laughs> oh, color. Gosh. I really actually I really liked the contrast of it. I felt like it was really you you get to see this arc with uh, with Skid and, and Bonnie. I keep trying to call them their real names. Uh, you get to see this arc with Skid and Bonnie where they're both, you know, sh- struggling apart. And then when they get together, they experience success. And she does a lot to prop him up and prop up his career and help him stay on the stay on the path so that he has this huge opportunity come his way. But I like that it shows you these little routines that they're doing in the smaller cast and the smaller stage. And then when Skid goes to Zigfield, it's this massive stage with these over-the-top costumes and these moving stage parts and this huge full symphony. And you really see the 
the contrast of him going from this, you know, you're, you're making it by playing different shows in different towns and then going to this, it's, you know, it's the equivalent of, you know, it's like winning the lottery. It's landing your dream job and your extremely highly paid dream job, you know, and then to see where that kind of, that gets rickety and falls apart without Bonnie. And then to see that, it's, it, I like how it shows the sweep of their arc, how when they separate, like when they come together, things are good, but they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And then when it seems like he can live that perfect life without her, he seems to do okay for a little bit until he realizes he can't do it without her. And then it, it's it, it's interesting. It's a story that made me nuts it, the first time I watched it. I uh, I don't, I don't want to get all the way into the wrapping up part of it. At first, when I first watched it the first time, I didn't even realize that there was any kind of a real love triangle in it. Uh, so you've got Skid and Bonnie, and they're obviously made for each other. And then you've got Sylvia Marco, who is one of the chorus girls in their early show, but and she's always kind of trying to s- stick a wedge in between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she goes off somewhere and there's this whole kind of competition between her and Gussie, I think is her name. Yeah. One I of the so. kind of one of the more notable other uh, performers in their small stage show. Uh, and when Sylvia Marco goes away, I didn't even realize at first, the first time I watched it, that uh, she had, it seems like she had actually gotten Ziegfeld's headhunter interested in Skid. Your cattle king's out front again. He's bought a seat for every performance, just like he has for the last three years. You know, I think if I ever brought him back to meet you, he'd know there was a heaven. Oh, bring him back, Lefty. He's the only following I ever had. All right. Oh, uh, has Kid heard anything from New York yet? No. Why? Well, Zigfield's agent was in at the matinee. And right after Skid's big number, he beat it across to the telegraph office. He's in again tonight. Are you trying to get a rise out of me, Lefty? No, honest. Well, if Skid ever gets this big opportunity that you're always raving about, he's got you to thank for it. Me? Sure, and I hope he gets it. You're entitled to a break. You're a swell guy, Lefty. I didn't even realize the first time at some point Bonnie says, oh, well, that's where Sylvia Marco went. You can't, you're not going to go there. She's, you know, she's there. She's been after you this whole time. And then, you know, of course, you see later on that she is at Sigfield. But it was really interesting. I didn't even realize there was a love triangle the first time because all of that kind of with the film quality got a little lost on me. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of... Um shorthand where you're supposed to assume there's some history maybe with skid and uh sylvia oh okay and there's definitely a few lines later on when uh skid and bonnie uh while they're not yet married when they're uh maybe even actually after they're married i guess i don't remember exactly but there are times where you know bonnie's kind of calling it out lucky for you you're leaving tonight because i was hoping to take one good punch at you Ain't too late. I'm still a few minutes before train time. Oh, I don't want to muck up that scrawny frame of yours. Shock New York as it is. Well, Mountainous, I'm planning to leave this show without staging a battle. 
But I don't take to that last crack of yours. No? Well, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to take one good sock at you to see how soft you really are. Hey, wait a minute. Don't get excited. You better beat it, Gussie. You'll be late for the ferry number. What is it, an elephant act? When I come back, I'm going to chase you until you find six new streets. What are you doing in my dressing room? Skid ain't here. Oh, nothing. I was just saying goodbye to Gussie. Guess I'm in the wrong room. No, you ain't in the wrong room. And before you go, Marco, I just want you to know that you didn't put nothing over on me. What do you mean? You know what I mean. I'll not stay and be insulted. You'll stay in life. I'm wise to the gad you've been giving Skid. Ever since we've been married, you've been trying to get him to drink, thinking maybe I'd get disgusted with him and you could have him. That's a lie. You know I'm telling the truth. Ain't I? Ain't I? Don't you hit me. That's all. Now get out. Time has passed and things have happened that we that we weren't privy to. Yes, that it's not clear. There's not like a 6 months later. Yeah, you know, we never see show. we never really see Sylvia like trying to make moves on Skid, but Bonnie tells us that she has been. Well, you do see her kind of uh yapping sort of at Bonnie's heels or nipping at her heels. You see, you know, for example, when at first Lefty says, you know, "Hey Skid, you know, uh, it, tough breaks, but I got to let some people go. Too bad Bonnie's got to be one of them. And then and Sylvia is outside listening to that conversation and makes sure that Bonnie knows that she's only with the show because Skid is paying her way. Right. Uh, you know, little things like that, which are kind of kind of weird. So maybe this is a product of the time I grew up in. And maybe it's a Maybe it's an indication of my sense of humor, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of weird that Sylvia is so gung ho for this guy that's, you know, he's a comedy guy. He's a burlesque comedy guy, but it's not like he's, <sighs> he's not David Niven, I mean, no. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, he's not Ryan Reynolds. He's not. Right. Yeah. He's not the Clark Gable of the no, day or yes, anything like that. He's not Cary Grant. No, he's very, he's just, he's just a guy. And it kind of, it makes you almost think, it made me wonder specifically if during this era, the comedy guy, like the Harold Lloyds weren't, especially during the silent era. If the comedy guys weren't the real stars of it all, you know, weren't the guys that the women would be like, oh, yeah, that guy's handsome, but this guy will make me laugh. I'd rather go with him. It was kind of an interesting thing for her to pick him to go after. You would, I almost would have expected her to go after Lefty. I mean, he's the one that runs the show, right? Right. You know, yeah. but instead she's going for and I get it. Skid is the talent in the entire production, but it still seemed kind of. It just it's, it seemed kind of strange to me, and I it just didn't quite click for me as making sense for her to be so heavily pursuing this guy who's face it an alcoholic and can't keep a penny in his pocket. And yeah, he's funny and he's the main act, but in a traditional sense, he doesn't have a lot going for him. I'm not saying he's unattractive. I'm saying 
security-wise and family and home and romance. There's not a lot going for this guy. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually found a review from Variety uh, magazine or ver- uh, from 1929. Yeah. And they mentioned something very similar. Interesting. Where they talk about there was a, about how a, a looker like Nancy Carroll stuck with a lousy uh, road burlesque Turk like the one they <laughs> open and clear. <laughs> well, it, might, it makes sense to me for... It, it kind of makes sense to me for Bonnie and Skid because when they find each other is when they they find their dancing partner, you know, and that's right. the, the, called the dance of life. And you, when you meet a person, here we go, Lydia's getting on her soapbox. When you meet a person <laughs> that things just kind of click and roll for you and you can play off each other and it goes smoothly and, you know, they've got their little catchphrase, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't kid me, would you? What if I could, mister? You know, which plays through the whole thing, and they've got, a, I've got to remember to talk about one dance sequence later, too. But they, it's, it makes sense, because Skid and Bonnie click, you know? And, and when yeah. you click with a person, you don't really think that much about what they look like. You don't think that much about their bad qualities, probably much to most people's detriment. We really should think about those, but we never do. You know, a lot of the time, we don't even learn those bad qualities until we're in too deep. And uh, but it, but it seemed weird to have Sylvia as a character so gung ho about him. I get the feeling maybe Sylvia is one of these people that she wanted him because she couldn't have him. Oh, I can see that. That's that's probably a valid argument. Yeah, and so I mean, even when she actually becomes the other woman, I think if you let that relationship play out, eventually she would bore of it. You know, especially if... Uh, oh, I think she one, does at the end. Yeah, especially after um, he and uh, Bonnie divorce. Mm-hmm. Well, now the fun's gone. Yes, yeah. And also, Bonnie's the one keeping him moving upward, right? Right, Without, yeah. Sylvia clearly can't. We see it even, you know, at the point where she tries to. Yeah, she yeah she can't do... She can't help whatsoever. Yeah, I could see that. Just that, je- that jealousy thing about, well, Bonnie's not prettier than me, and Bonnie's not a better dancer than I am, but she's up in the front because she's with this guy. And if I were with this guy, I'd be up in the front. I could see that. That's, I think, a viable argument for that. That makes a little yeah. bit more sense. But it isn't explained in the movie that way. No, This is, no. you know, us just... Yeah, you know, no, no, it's certainly not explicit in the film at, at, at all. So it, it is us just trying to make sense of it all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. On uh, How Skelly, it's such a crime that he died so soon. Uh, I mean, just a few years after this film was oh, released. Yeah. In such tragic circumstances. Incredibly talented dancer, I thought. I thought his his routines were really impressive. I thought, so they were, they were hard for me to tell. There were certainly moments where he was able to move in ways that you don't expect the human body to move. Um, And I feel like you're right. I feel like he could have been a lot like, you know, Fred Astaire, known that way. Particularly, you know, like when, it's kind of funny because when Bonnie and Skid are dancing together, the routine that they do, and they do this routine multiple times through the movie. And again, it, it shows really clearly at different stages in the movie Every time something important happens. Hey, Bob, you really mean what you said about 
they're doing that dance and then when he goes away to Zigfield she has to go do the dance by herself and it's so sad and then you know when they're trying to pull it all back together they're doing the same dance again and it is it, it, there's this you can kind of tell it was done as a play because there's this great rap that comes back to where you know it brings you back around to where you see that really this is their dance and this is the only way that they can really make it and it won't be perfect, but this is how they can make it is by keeping doing this dance together. Not the specific dance, but you know, it's a euphemism, right? right. It's, it's a, it's a simile for their life. It's a, so, so, but I think when they're doing this dance, it's, it's a little, it's a little distracting because the style of dance they do throughout the whole thing is kind of funky. It's kind of floppy <laughs> and the kicks are not like real clean and they're kind of like, yeah, just kind of kick out to the side and then you kind of flop around and you kind of turn in a circle and then you do a little knee pat and a little hand clap and then you, it's not like we're used to seeing in 30s and 40s dance routines where the man and the woman are doing this highly choreographed complex dance routine it's and it's the same routine you see it three times in the movie and so but I feel like if you had been able to see him doing one of those more complex really uh heavily choreographed dance routines and and the comedic sketches that he's doing in it are highly choreographed, but they're not that real clean, sharp movement that you're, you know, that we're used to seeing in earlier musicals. So I think you're right. I think probably he is really a phenomenal dancer. I don't think this role shows that off for him, though. I think mm. it shows him off as being a phenomenal mover, but not necessarily an excellent dancer. Right. When I wasn't even referring to his dancing ability so much as his abilities to do his routines. I mean, we do get to see very early on when he's on stage, we get to see kind of like one of his full routines and he does some amazing movements some falls uh, and, things. And, and some good Pratt falls, but even that where he's like leaning and he does that, you know, yeah. lean where it looks like, how are you not falling down? I will never understand how I, people can do that without wires yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding them up in that Zigfield routine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really impressive. And just the way he, he moves and the way he kicks and the, his slides and his falls, I think he just does an amazing job. And mm -hmm. I actually really like the, the routine. You're talking about the, the routine between them. I think it's fun that he is much more loose and sort of um, 
slapstick as he uh-huh. does his routine yeah. and she's much more refined and i i like that they you know she never goes when they're doing the routine she doesn't go for the comedy moves right he's yeah. always the one that's got to kick his leg out a little further than than necessary kind of yeah. thing while she's still doing it straight and it's like that's just it just works really well for that routine and for that couple yeah, it's really cute. And I mean, of course, he's done up with like, you know, clown makeup clown, kind of. Mm-hmm. And you can see that he's, you know, the comedy character. And, and there's a cute little story being told of this like goofy kind of guy following this, you know, beautiful woman around. He, never mind. She's in a burlesque outfit, which there's a lot of burlesque outfits in this. Yes. But um, it's yeah, a very no, attractive film. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of fun costumes in it. That's for sure. There are a few. This being a black and white movie, I had a couple times where I thought, and of course, it's pre-code. I kept going, she's not actually topless, is she? Okay, no, she's not. Okay. <laughs> no, no. And then, like, I'd be watching it again, and I'm like, she's not top. Are those are those women on that platform? Nate? Okay, they can't be nude. No, no, no. Okay, no. It's just the it's just the overexposure of the black and white yes. film. But knowing, of course, that it is the kind of burlesque thing, I kept going, are they... Are they actually partial? Nope, they're not. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, but if 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 you're a fan of fishnets, this movie's for you. Oh gosh, yes. No, the and the 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 stage costumes, is, the women's stage costumes, are so much fun. Yeah. And even Bonnie's when she's at kind of a lower rung, uh, th- she's still the specialty dancer, is what they call her. And so she gets the really good costumes. You know, everybody else is chorus, and so they all have the same costume and. You know, they look pretty much the same, except for Gussie gets a little bit of special costume here and there because she's the frontline girl. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, Bonnie's costumes are fantastic. They're so much fun to look at. The one where Skid actually does go to Zigfield, that whole, you know, down the hall scene that we talked about. And it's got those black plumage of feathers out the back. And there I have no idea how they get the feathers to stay that stiff. <laughs> it's <laughs> beautiful she looks like a little black bird it's so cute you know it's very clear what the aesthetic is that they were going for and i just ran on for like two minutes talking about feathers but you're exactly (laughs) right it is very visually appealing and it would have been you've already said it twice it would have been phenomenal to see this in color yeah no i'm very disappointed i'm assuming the color would be a little bit like uh, dixiana when they did the mardi gras yes but even that would have been that, again, that would have been the same thing where you're watching a movie and you just suddenly go, whoa, wait. Yeah. <laughs> did I just What just happened? Up? Did I fall asleep? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wait, did I not realize this whole movie's in color? Yeah. Back it up. Nope, nope, the whole thing's not. Okay, now I gotta... <laughs> yeah, it would have been really impressive. I, I, yes. it's, such a, it's such a sad thing that this hasn't been uh, restored mm. and, and put back together. Yeah. There's a thought for you. If anybody's looking for a project to do to colorize a movie, this would be a really fun one to see colorized just for the costumes, strictly for that. And you have to know Skid's, Skid's costumes, too, because he has a I mean, granted, he's in pants and a jacket the whole time, but he has a very, very broad wardrobe. It's almost unusual for this kind of I suppose because it came from the stage play burlesque. Um, he has such a wide wardrobe. I love there's a little moment in it, too, when he's first made it to 
uh, Zigfield's Follies, <laughs> and he's out afterwards, and he's in a tuxedo, and he glances down, and he sees the rental ticket is still on the sleeve, <laughs> and he pulls it off real quick and puts it in his pocket. You're, I love that they, you know, it's it's true to the characters. You really yes, oh, very much. Yeah, you at no point are they skimming over the hardship of this lifestyle. Yeah, when Skid is sober. And and with Bonnie, you really like Skid. Yeah. I mean, he's just a really good guy yeah. who believes in Bonnie, trusts Bonnie, has never questions whether Bonnie knows what's best for Bonnie or him. It, he's fantastic. It's it's this film is really a uh, a warning about overindulgence in drink, <laughs> because yeah. that is what brings him down. Yeah, and then when he's apart from her, he's an absolute miserable prat. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And at the end, too, uh, this is part, I don't want to say too much, but that's part of what uh, I didn't care for, especially the first time I watched it, was I never felt like Skid was really good enough for Bonnie. No, I would definitely get that feeling, too. No, he he was definitely... Not to say they're not right together, but he's not really good enough for her. No, he's definitely punching above his weight class when it comes to... (laughs) (laughs) That's a a good way to put it. When it comes to Bonnie. She is very sweet. She's just drop-dead beautiful. Oh, she's beautiful, yeah. Uh, She's incredibly talented. She's intelligent. uh, And he's he's just a schlub. (laughs) <laughs> he really he really is and it's almost funny cuz he could have gone on being a mediocre schlub and lived his life pretty well if he hadn't gone on to the fame and fortune thing. It's it's funny you're saying you said that it's drink that destroys him. I think it's the fame and fortune thing that destroyed him because he always had access to drink and it always messed with him some, but he never fell so low as when he got into the fame and fortune thing. That really is what, dis- he, that's when he really started making bad decisions. Yeah, uh, true. You know, he's still, uh, and granted Bonnie early on, you know, makes a deal with Lefty and says, look, we'll only stay on if you promise you won't drink with Skid anymore. Mm-hmm. And definitely if he, he continues to drink, then yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna lose everything that he's got. But at that point, he doesn't have the access to it that, Getting, it's, you know, it's like, uh, it, what it is, you're going to love this analogy. <laughs> it's a high school movie. <laughs> it's about the girl that, or boy, that goes to high school and he's a nice guy and he's, he's okay. But when he gets in with the popular rich kids is when his life really goes down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. Now I can see it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So every high school movie you've ever seen is based on this movie. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> but it is a common theme, you know. Hey, be content with what you have. Appreciate what you have while you have it. Because the minute that you stop appreciating it, you'll lose it. The cast, the entire cast is actually a lot of fun. It's a pretty full cast for a film of this time, too, I, I feel. Uh, as far as, while it, not so much in quantity, but just in that, there's so many people with so many things to do and so many people that actually have a part in the overall story. They, Mm -hmm. they, they have their, they come and go uh, throughout the story and they all have their parts to play. And it's like, wow, that's fairly complicated for, (laughs) for a 1929 film. At least it it feels that way to me. It is. It's a pretty complex story. 
But yeah, everyone is, in the end, a lot of fun to watch. Mm. Uh, I, I think uh, Bonnie, uh, Nancy Carroll is Bonnie, plays the just the super sweet girl so well. Mm-hmm. Just her early scenes in the train station. Yeah, you know when she knows Skid is hungry, or she knows you know Skid needs help, and so she, oh, you know, and would look the other way or act, you know just leave the sandwich, you know, when she <laughs> pretends to fall asleep. Yeah, um, and she's got that that the the beautiful just you know nineteen twenties eyes. Uh, yes, no, <laughs> yeah. she's she's gorgeous. She's got that. It's kind of a baby face, but she doesn't look immature. She's just super super cute. Yeah, yeah. No, she and the two of them together are just fantastic. That routine when he proposes. Oh gosh, yes, so cute. (laughs) It's so adorable, and because she doesn't really say anything through the entire thing, but it's all in her face. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and it's just, you know, because they're doing the dance and whatever. And then as he starts talking and it, when it starts leading to what he's talking about and like talk about the getting married, they get a little closer and then they interlock arms. You know, she puts, <laughs> it, puts her yeah. arm into his and it's, it's so sweet. And a little bit that I'm sure is her and him. And a lot of it, again, is just direction. Directing. Yeah. 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 There's a bunch of that through here and, and in every... Uh, dance routine that they have together there's that real physicality of you almost they almost don't need to have any conversation you can see the whole thing happening um there's actually a few moments uh in the film entirely where you don't need dialogue in fact there isn't any dialogue (laughs) we've mentioned it before uh the moment when you know she has to go on stage by herself Mm -hmm. and you see she's incredibly sad you Mm -hmm. know on the verge of tears and that camera comes down that hallway, and then I feel like that's you know that she said, and then it opens up on that stage, and that's like that that's effectively it's a visual representation of the show must go on. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, yes, you said that, and I just had big fla- big red flashbacks to uh, Moulin Rouge, and basically <laughs> it's that scene when yeah. she's walking down the hall and singing the show must go on. Inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but the show must go on. It's exactly. That is, this is, that's the closest to this scene that I can think of. And there's another moment, too, of course, when she goes and sees uh, Skid in the speakeasy, where, again, there's no dialogue at that part. After mm-hmm. From the time she goes through the door in the speakeasy until she leaves and then it pan, it goes over and you see, uh, oh, it, I forget what the moment is. It's not the same moment. I was going to say the light changes. I know what it is. She looks up and sees his name in lights with a yeah. little figure of him falling on his backside over and over mm-hmm. and the again the visualization there is it's it's clear as day nobody says anything but it's oh he just screwed up big time he oh, just yeah. fell on his backside you know the visualization yep. throughout this movie there are so many points where uh they they don't there's no dialogue and it, it sounds like oh there's so many points where there's no dialogue this is one of uh, the stellar examples of movies filmed and directed where there are moments where no dialogue is needed and it's precisely di- the direction in this movie is the real star of this movie i think and i yeah. the writing is well probably but the way that the visualization is done i don't see how you could do some of this on stage you couldn't do this very There's the moment when they get married and uh, somebody grabs Skid and says, you know, 
oh, give Bonnie a couple minutes alone. Come with me. I think it was Gussie. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And then it shows Bonnie, you know, and he goes off and it shows Bonnie, you know, looking in the mirror and kind of adjusting herself. And then she stops and you see this transformation on her where she goes, ah, I belong to somebody. I look so pretty today. Oh, I can't wait. He's going to come back in and think I'm just radiant. And all of it happens in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And it all happens just through the expression of her face and her actions and her posture. But you see it all so clearly. And they, they do that, I think, over and over with Bonnie in this movie. It takes a special actress to be able to convey that sort of emotion I think, and a patient director, and and as he said, an excellent cameraman <laughs> to yes. get the right angles and to to be able to relay that without being intrusive. I think absolutely. So you mentioned you know, there's times where the film doesn't need any dialogue. Well, there is times when the film needs a lot of music and singing, and you mentioned it earlier <laughs> of the recording here. Yeah, unfortunately, the song is that kind of typical 1920s just maybe an octave higher than like most humans can understand <laughs> and several of the songs all of the chorus songs are that way It's very unfortunate because, yeah, you can't make out a word of what a lot of these songs are about. Except the hero. (laughs) (laughs) The matador. The matador. That's the other part. The matador. Yeah. Yeah, it it is too bad. I would have loved to. uh, I think not I would have loved to, but I think it would have made it more enjoyable if if we were able to catch it. Maybe we're just not used to this type of music and so our ears aren't in tune to it these days. Yeah. Um, I have to think that's the case because I don't, I don't know that the audio has changed significantly. Well, I think it probably has. And that's why I'm wondering if you were in the audience of a Ziegfeld Folly, oh, would yeah. you be able to understand it better than you can understand it after being recorded onto this, you know, ancient technology, uh, technology <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that they uh, had at the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, I think, a really valid statement. I think probably in person it'd be a lot. But I think it, I think you are right, though. When you said, and you kind of said it comedically, but you said that it's about an octave higher than it needs to be, there is something to the style having changed. At yes. that time, women were expected. And we get this with, with Bonnie, too. She sings a couple times. One point she does sing, and it's an old-fashioned song, unquote, and her voice is like two octaves lower. But when she's singing modern songs, her voice is really high and, like, twittery. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think that is an indication of that time. Yes. You really wish a film like this came with subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. Yeah. But these days I watch a lot with subtitles, but gosh, it would have, it, it, I think it's part of it is just what was popular in that day. What was popular at that time. Now we don't expect women to sing like snow white, (laughs) (laughs) but back then that was extremely common or that, that was kind of expected. Yeah, no. So, so that is an unfortunate thing about the the age of the film and the time it was filmed is that, being that it's a musical, that's the music you get, yeah. and it is, 
rather piercing and it could be a, a turnoff for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. The, the musical portions of the, I should say, the um, symphonic portions of it or the instrumental portions of it are are more, I, I hate to say more tolerable, that sounds really horrible, but they are more tolerable. Uh, it was really funny that we've mentioned it a couple times, the dance that Skid and Bonnie do together over and over. Mm-hmm. The first time they did it, the music started playing and they started doing this dance and I thought, no, the music really doesn't match this dance at all. But then <laughs> as the movie goes on, that music makes a lot more sense in the different scenes. Right. You know, there's one routine that they do together. We don't see them originating the thing, but apparently it's a routine that they they knew and they used to do or something like that is uh, towards, towards the end in uh, Bonnie's apartment in New York. Oh. <laughs> and they're dancing and they're... <laughs> I hated that scene. <laughs> but I just wanted to mention, because I thought the, the, the joke yeah. made me laugh out loud. Uh-huh. You like the zoo? I love the zoo. You like the lion? Oh, I love the lion. And the tiger? I love the tiger. And the elephant tiger? Yeah. And the rhinoceros? What are we talking about? A zoo or a hospital? The zoo, silly. Don't you love the dangaroos? <laughs> i never seen any. Dangaroos. Why, the zoos are full of them. You see the signs all over. Dangaroos? Yeah. Don't you mean kangaroos? Hmm. Dangaroos. How do you spell it? D-A-N-G-E-R-O-U-S. Are those dangaroos? <laughs> sure you want to step by him. I always thought that meant dangerous. <laughs> we live and learn, lady. We live and learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Right. Thank you for ma- thank you for helping me get that joke. I did not get it either of the times I watched really? this movie. Oh my gosh, I was I just thought she was just okay. A little a little backstory here, listeners. My husband and I just make up words for stuff sometimes. <laughs> and so I just figured she was just being silly about kangaroos. You know, we frequently talk about skeletons and things like that. Uh, chooks, by the way, chooks are chickens. But, yeah, I thought she was just making up a word for an animal because we do that all the time. Thank you for explaining the joke. Now I'm now it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know as soon as she spelled it out and it 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 hit me what it what's danger danger. I will never <laughs> see the word dangerous again without thinking dangeroo. Dangerous. that's no, that's hilarious. I mean that that I guess is proof that I'm. Yeah, what do you call him? A grammar Nazi? <laughs> I was like, she's spelling it wrong. It's K A N. It made me. It made me think of like a a Burns and Allen sketch. Mm, mm. You could definitely see where like this would be Gracie Allen's line. Mm. <laughs> but it is funny. It is funny. Thank you. Seriously, I really mean it. Thank <laughs> no, you for no, explaining my that pleasure. Joke. I'm glad I brought it, it up. <laughs> I'm really glad you did, too. Now it's hilarious. Now, I like that scene a lot more now. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We haven't talked at all about Harvey Howell. No, uh, I suppose we should. The millionaire from Minnesota. Uh, Wyoming. Not, Wyoming. The Wyoming the millionaire. The Wyoming rancher who, every time the show comes anywhere nearby, he books a seat every night. Every night in the front row, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not not a very prolific actor. It's funny, it's it's always tempting to say, oh, this guy's really boring, but I think that was on purpose. 
Mm, <laughs> I think in this case, I, I like early on when Bonnie meets him and she's already married to Skid. And uh, and he says something to her and she goes, oh, you wouldn't kid me, mister. And he goes, well, I wouldn't know how to do that. Because <laughs> back and forth between her and Skid is, I would if I could, mister, you know. You're right. And I, again... I think this movie is so good at contrasting things. It's so good at contrasting Bonnie and Skids play off each other with Bonnie going to make a joke with this guy and this guy just being like, I, you know, a nope, I don't know how to joke, but I sure mm. think you're amazing. Yep, and, you sure are pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I, it's such a great contrast because it's, I like it. It doesn't play him off as the evil millionaire, the bad guy. Oh, no, no player or anything like that he's clearly a guy that would be great for bonnie in right in all of the in all of the physical things the things that we think of as counting but he doesn't click with her the way that skid does exactly that contrast is just perfect in no that. i like that there wasn't a uh you know someone conniving to try to yes. steal Bonnie away or anything. He was for yeah. like, oh, oh, you're married? Oh, well, that's all right. Well, yeah. I'm, I'll leave. I'm, I've, I've got to go. And yeah. I, I mean, that was that was fine, you know? He was good with it. Yeah, I appreciated that as well. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it was, he was an interesting character. He's one of those characters that, by virtue of his virtue, <laughs> he's a refreshing character to see. In a yeah, movie. no, absolutely. Especially in a film, I mean, we were talking about pre-code. I really don't know what was, except maybe the excessive alcoholism and the fact that one of our heroes is a is an alcoholic and it mm-hmm. you know drives him to ruin. Well, some of the costumes are are would be considered risque. There's well, possibly the moment or the 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 scene where she meets Harvey. And she's got her, uh, she puts on her robe before he comes in. And then at some point she pulls out some liquor. Oh, I mean, she's a married woman alone in a room with a man. She pulls out the liquor and then she takes her robe off and is in. It's not exactly a negligee. Oh, no, I suppose it's a negligee, actually. It, well, uh, it's, a, it's some sort of burlesque outfit, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole, the whole idea is to, to try to, um, and she even tells Harvey what she's doing. She's trying, trying to, to make her husband jealous. jealous. Yes. And I but that's one of those moments where you know he comes in and he doesn't even bat an eye. Yeah. You know, yeah. Skid doesn't bat an eye and everything. Harvey leaves and she's like, "I'm dressed like this. I'm drinking with a stranger <laughs> and you know what? You can take care of yourself." It's such it's <laughs> such a real conversation. Yeah. It really is such a real conversation. I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to make my husband jealous and he just doesn't fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the it was the scene that solidifies Skid's trust in in Bonnie. Yeah. And her capability. I don't I think maybe we've reached the point where we should probably rate the film. Yeah. And I and, think and so. close up. <laughs> I will say this is a little bit of a tough one for me because I enjoyed this film a lot, but it's kind of the would I recommend it to somebody? The nearly two-hour running time... Oh gosh, it's such a long movie for this time period. Is, ...is kind of a sticking point with me as far as how do I... You know, how would I recommend it? Because <laughs> I think that would be a big turnoff for a lot of people. Yeah. The fact that they have to sit through all these routines, you know, the, these, these stage routines in the middle of this movie. Um, 
I actually find it a lot of fun because I think it's a fantastic snapshot of 1929. This is 1929 entertainment. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, not only is this a 1929 film, this is you know the the stuff people would go see on stage in 1929. So I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic. It's a brilliant snapshot mm. of of the era. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and go with a four. Okay. I, I really enjoyed it. I think the acting's fantastic. The directing, as we, we discussed, is really good. I was impressed as hell with some of the camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like when movies are truly snapshots of the era, mm-hmm. which I think this one is. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's interesting. There There are a few things in it that I was just blown away by just little things that surprised me so we already talked about that zoom shot that i just can't i still can't get over i'm gonna go back and watch it again right after this because i just think that it's so so startling um i love too. there's a moment where there's a newspaper headline and it cracked me up it says inside facts legit and i was like (laughs) oh my gosh seriously in 1929 here it is 2022 Almost a hundred years later. And that's legit. I could not believe that. It just cracked me up. Um, as far as rating it, though, I mean, there there are moments of delight in this movie. There, there, And for funny reasons. Because it's not the typical movie where I'm like, oh, I just... Oh, I just love these two characters. I do love these two characters together with the heavy caveat that Skid's not good enough for Bonnie. When I initially was thinking about how I'd rate this movie, I was like two. But, you know, you had said you weren't sure how to recommend how to watch it. I have to admit, I did not make myself sit through the routines the second time I watched it. And that cuts down the running time significantly. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's a good 20, 30 minutes cut out oh, of the film. Yes, definitely. So so if you, uh, it, you know, if you're like, you start watching the routines and you get to the point where you're like, I just can't sit through the song you know, rather than turn the whole movie off, you can skip the routine and, and get yeah. back into the action. I would probably recommend that. Yeah, there's only a, a few routines. There's only a few routines that I would actually say, no, you should watch that one. Yeah, and um, I think they're all, uh, the ones with Skid and Bonnie alone are really, truly part of the plot. And, yes. And I think you can, I think those are easy to pick out. So, uh, But if you don't want to sit through the eight minute uh, Zigfield <laughs> Which, yeah, doesn't add anything to the plot as far as, you know, in my opinion, it's some of the other routines, uh, you know, actually, I think probably that's the one that really doesn't add to the plot. But I think you've made a good point. This at this time, that would have been a novelty that people really couldn't get anywhere else, especially throughout most of the country. And, uh, and so for a snapshot of period, I think it's a phenomenal scene to get to see. I never have seen a clip of Zigfield Follies ever. I've always wondered what it looked like. So that was a lot of fun to get to see. Um, it's, it's hard not to give it a high rating because there are so many things in it that I'm so interested in deeper knowledge of. With that said, I think that if you're, a real diehard classic movie fan and you're really interested in the history of film, you need to watch this movie. If you are a casual viewer and and I think probably a lot of our listeners are going to tend more toward the diehards, 
But if you are a casual viewer uh, listening to this, I'm going to go ahead and give it a three. And it, it's, it hurts me a little bit to do that. But I think looking at the scope of film and looking at if I were to, I always go back and think if I were going to tell you, you have to watch these top five movies. I, uh, yeah, I know. Torn. I because yeah. I think there is some history in this movie that is fascinating, but I think the history in it is surrounding the making of the film itself, yes. not yeah, sure. the actual film. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead with a three and yeah. hope nobody sends me hate mail or attacks me while I'm walking down the street. <laughs> no, I'm sure they won't. And I fully understand. And I'll admit that I may be rating it higher than maybe it deserves just because I feel like I should. Yeah. I, and it, it's one of those where it's hard. It, there are, it, it's hard not to bump up the rating to tell people you need to watch it for this scene and this scene. Because it's really tempting to say, oh, it's better than it is because of these two little scenes or these five scenes or this interaction between these characters. Really, I think if, if we were only reviewing 1929 films, if this podcast were dedicated to that year or to the five years surrounding that year, this would probably be a five. But looking at this is why rating it is so hard because looking at the scope of all of cinema history, this isn't probably one of the ones I'd say you have to watch this if you're ever going to watch a movie, but it is worth watch. And it's, it's got some really phenomenal features about it. And I am apologizing for rating it a three. So I'll stop apologizing and leaving it there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's leave it there. We're good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think that'll probably do it for this episode. Uh, Lydia, you know, congratulations. I don't think I've actually said congratulations to you for 10 years of work oh, for entertainment. Thank you. Congratulations to you too. I still am blown away anytime we mention it. It's just, I, didn't, I haven't done anything in my life for 10 years. No, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything that I've, any hobby or anything that I've, I've continued to do for 10 whole years. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's wild. But thank you and congratulations to you too. It's, it has been a pleasure. I believe it will continue being a pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get to keep doing it till we drop dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, new movies are going into public domain every year, guys. <laughs> See, that's right. They're starting to drop into public domain Literally again. So every hoorah. year. <laughs> Hooray. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Again, any comments or feedback, go ahead and send them to orphanedentertainment.com or come to any of the socials. Just follow the link in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next month. Bye, everybody. Bye.